There's nothing here that says that the GSA administrator has to wait for the president to tell her that it's time. And as a matter of fact, the history, and when you look at it, it looks like the reason Congress put this designation with a GSA administrator, as opposed to, for example, with the president or the chief of staff or even the attorney general, is to separate the decision from politics and to have it be a ministerial decision about whether it's possible for a reasonable person to look at the election and the circumstances and determine who is the apparent winner. We're being tested and without a kind of coordinated effort between the Trump people, the outgoing people and the incoming Biden people, things could quickly lose control. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out titled How to Get Sued and The Sled. Before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Lex Reception and Blue Jay Legal. Lex Reception is a close-knit team of virtual receptionists dedicated to professionalism, warmth, and 24-7 availability for law firms and attorneys. Blue Jay Legal's AI-powered foresight platforms accurately predict court outcomes and accelerate case research by using factors instead of keywords. You can learn more at bluejaylegal.com. That's blue, the letter J, legal.com, bluejaylegal.com. The transition of presidential power is the process during which the president-elect of the United States prepares to take over the administration of the federal government of the United States from the incumbent president. The peaceful transition of government has long been a hallmark of American democracy. In what has become an unfortunately common refrain, 2020 has proven quite different. As of the date of this recording, November 18th, 2020, President Trump has not yet conceded his loss in the recent presidential election, instead making allegations of voter fraud. As such, the process of transferring power has not begun, giving rise to concerns regarding national security, the economy, and the government's ability to properly address the effects of coronavirus and the recently discovered vaccines. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to explore the practical impacts of a delayed transfer of power from an uncooperative incumbent administration, both for the incoming administration and the American people. We'll see what lessons we can learn from the past and what options the Biden administration may have going forward. To do that, we've got two great guests today. Our first guest is William C. Banks, professor of law and former interim dean from Syracuse University College of Law. He's a teacher and scholar at Syracuse for more than four decades. Bill was the founding director of the Institute for National Security and Counterterrorism, now the Syracuse University Institute for Security, Policy, and Law. And he's also the chair of the ABA Standing Committee on Law and National Security, who has a podcast, National Security Law Today, available on the ABA website. Welcome to the show, Bill. It's good to be with you. Thank you. And next up, we have Professor Leslie Gilo Jacobs. She is director of the McGeorge School of Law Capital Center for Law and Policy. Over the years, Leslie has authored a substantial and important body of scholarship on constitutional doctrine, governance, and national security, and particularly on government speech. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Happy to be here. Leslie, I wonder if you could start us out with kind of a background of how the transition of power happens 
between the incumbent and the incoming president? How does the baton get handed off? Well, it used to be an informal process, and it would depend upon uh, the incumbent deciding to be uh, nice about <laughs> handing over the power. But what we have now is a statute um, written in the 1960s, the Presidential Transition Act, and that um, Congress has made a decision that it wants to have a peaceful and efficient um, transition of power. And so it provides for a number of different things to go on, both before the election and then afterwards uh, to transition power. So we should be aware that despite the impasse we seem to find ourselves in now, a number of things have already happened that are required in that that statute, which is things like a transition coordinating council, which is agency heads, um, well, career servants, being told that they have to create information dossiers for the incoming uh, president-elect, and then succession planning sorts of things, office space designations. And so all those things happen even before the election. But what we're waiting for now, and this is the... um, you know, point of contention is that the head of the General Services um, Administration uh, needs by the statute to uh, designate an apparent successful candidate. And once that's done, then all these things become available to the incoming president. And Bill, how does the GSA make that determination? I mean, right now, as it sits, we're doing a hand recount in Georgia. We haven't yet had an electoral college vote. We really don't yet have a president other than what the media says. Uh, yes, that's a, it's quite a predicament. And uh, the GSA director, of course, is someone that most people would never have, have heard of. But she, it's a woman in this case, has a very prominent role. She's waiting for a signal from President Trump himself. She will not act, she has said, until the president gives her the uh, so-called green light. In, in another administration, and as Professor Jacobs said, the tradition would be in modern times for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence to say to the GSA administrator through the White House that uh, we, we have a body of intelligence that we can begin to transfer over to the incoming administration, let us know when to begin. Well, that that beginning has not yet occurred. So one of the most important things that incoming president, president-elects are used to receiving in advance of inauguration is called the President's Daily Brief, the PDB. That hasn't happened yet, and it hasn't happened yet because GSA hasn't given them green light. Well, and Trump so far hasn't indicated that the president's daily briefing is of any import to him. In fact, there's a lot of apocryphal stories about that he doesn't even pay attention to it. Leslie, should we expect him to, to follow this? Or is there anything in the Transition Act that mandates these events to occur on a time frame? Well, I'm going to separate out whether the president cares about the daily briefing from whether it's important for the president-elect to get it, because I know that um, he probably thinks it's very important. I mean, a daily briefing is something different than what's available uh, to the public. And so it's absolutely crucial that the incoming uh, president be able to get that and get it as soon as possible. But as far as whether there's anything in the act itself, Again, this is the nature of writing an act. It says designate the apparent successful candidate. And so there is history of the act, and it says that Congress was concerned about peaceful transitions. It was concerned about efficient and quick transitions, and it 
didn't think that this was going to be a difficult judgment um, in in most in any cases, really, unless you have an extraordinarily a close situation. Of course, we look at 2000 as possibly being that, and we had a delay going on there. But it's an interpretation of the words here, apparent um, successful candidate. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing here that says that the GSA administrator has to wait for the president to tell her that it's time. And as a matter of fact, the history, and when you look at it, it looks like the reason Congress put this designation with a GSA administrator, as opposed to, for example, with the president or the chief of staff or even the attorney general, is to separate the decision from politics and to have it be a ministerial decision about whether it's possible for a reasonable person to look at the election and the circumstances and determine who is the apparent winner. How do we enforce this? Well, <laughs> um, it's a tricky thing as far as enforcing it. I happen to think there there might well be ways to do it. I mean, there is a mandamus act, and uh, it's possible to go to a, a, a federal court and say, uh, order a government official to do something. Uh, there has to be a clear duty, and you know, some people might say there's not a clear duty here. But I'm going to also say that it, it's a it's a public relations problem as well. That is, and besides a, a huge diversion of resources. So things that are possible to do may not be things that the incoming president wants to do. Again, the, the far better situation here is for the president who's insisting upon not conceding, and fine, he doesn't have to concede, but then he needs to lose support from other government officials who care about the orderly transition who might themselves be part of Congress and want to uphold the intent of Congress in an act like this. And so I think that's what we have to look for as opposed to um, a legal action. And Bill, what are the national security concerns that we're facing here? I, you know, it's just what I was thinking about as as your last exchange went forward, that there are all kinds of political and other machinations that could determine whether or not the transition goes on in an orderly way or whether President-elect Biden receives the PDB. But in the background, it is a very complicated national security posture of the United States. Given the way 2020 has unfolded for us in the United States, you might think that the only thing that's important in the world is the coronavirus. And indeed, it's overriding in its importance for all of us. And that would indeed be an important part of, of the transition. As the president-elect has said this week, he's had a team of scientists ready to get to work on coronavirus transition, but they haven't given access to the Trump administration team or allowed them to share information. So the Biden team is, uh, is sort of making it up as they go with their own materials. Perhaps more important is that the world is out there and our adversaries, whether you think of the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, they're all aware that the charade, if you will, or, or dance or whatever you'd like to call it is going on here in the United States and that we're more vulnerable as a nation right now and as a national security apparatus than we have been at any time during the last four years. There have been other times when uh, national security threats have emerged during period of transition throughout our history, and uh, we've had some very close calls. And indeed, now I think uh, I saw news today that there's uh, evidence of an Iranian-based attack on U.S. Uh, property in Baghdad, Iraq. So we're being tested, 
and a, without a kind of coordinated effort between the Trump people, the outgoing people and the incoming Biden people, things could quickly lose control. Well, Leslie, let's go back to the Transition Act and talk about how President Trump's litigation led by attorney Giuliani is holding up this transfer and what we can expect to see as a result of this. I mean, he's pretty much been batted down so far. Yeah, he's been batted down. And what we can expect to see is they'll keep trying until all the um, options go away. But as far as a President Transition Act, there's nothing there that says that we have to wait uh, or that the GAO administrator has to wait until all litigation is settled. It's the apparent successful candidate. And we have votes in the states. And I will say they're about to be certified. I'd say December 1 is the absolute latest that you'd be looking at and saying, oh, gosh, we don't have enough certifications. But even without the certifications, these places are saying we, we have a vote count and it's what it is. And so the litig- there's nothing to say that the litigation matters. I will say that the pr- there is precedent in 2000 where the head of the GSA at that point was saying that litigation mattered. But I just need to emphasize it was just so much different then. We were dealing with one state as opposed to dealing with a number of states in this instance and a vote margin that's much bigger in the Electoral College. And so, as I said before, I think what we have to look for is pressure to be brought to bear on GAS administrator to not wait certainly for a president concession, but also not to wait until litigation's over because that's not the standard. Well, Bill, there's been some opinion pieces I've seen where people have been holding forth, claiming that there's a need to put controls and laws in place in order to stop this from happening again. But what's missing in the Transition Act that doesn't allow this to be a lot more orderly than it is? Well, I think I think that Leslie summarized the the state of play with the Transition Act very well. It, you know, historically, it's been helpful. It was enacted in the wake of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So, you know, that's the magnitude of a of a national security crisis that could prompt us to get our act together. But as as Leslie said, in addition, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that's been going on for months. The staffs of of, uh, of President-elect Biden and Mr. Trump have been meeting for the better part of six months once it became clear that uh, Vice President Biden was to be the candidate to face President Trump. Uh, under the terms of the act and more generally, there have been cooperation between them to do some background work. It's also been reported that the, that the President-elect has a considerable staff working on transition issues and has had that staff, hundreds of people working over the last several months when the, you know, when the race was uh, remained very much in doubt, uh, just to be ready. Uh, and many of these people, fortunately for all of us, have deep experience in government, either served in the Obama administration, that's true for most of them, I dare say, or in the Bush or, or Clinton administrations before that, and are also very familiar with Vice President Biden's deep experience in the area. One of the things that's perhaps most helpful here is that as vice president for eight years, Joe Biden was deeply enmeshed in uh, the transition in 2008. And he was also uh, certainly prepared, had election gone differently in 2012 to uh, assist an incoming Romney administration. So he's an old hand at this. 
Sound like we may be in better hands than we might think. Well, before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. 80% of callers who reach voicemail hang up. Hiring an answering service means that you never miss a lead. Lex Reception can take your calls live, handle legal intake, and schedule appointments in a professional manner for less than the cost of hiring an in-house employee. There are no contracts, and the service is quick and easy to set up. For 50% off your first month's service, visit lexreception.com forward slash lawyer to lawyer. Predict legal outcomes with Blue Jay Legal's Foresight Platforms. Using AI to analyze thousands of cases and administrative rulings, Blue Jay Legal can predict with 90% accuracy on average how a judge would likely rule in your case. Plus, you can research by factors and outcomes to find the relevant cases in seconds. Stay ahead of the curve and learn more at bluejlegal.com. That's blue, the letter J, legal.com, bluejlegal.com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is William C. Banks, professor and former interim dean from Syracuse University College of Law, and Leslie Jacobs, director of the McGeorge School of Law of Capital Center for Law and Policy. And before the break, we were talking about the transition and, and President-elect Biden's uh, deep experience in transitions. But Leslie, let's talk about what happens if the transfer doesn't happen soon? What steps can Biden take? What should he be doing? What's he not learning that he needs to be learning? What are we afraid of? Well, I'm going to emphasize what Bill said, which is we we shouldn't be as afraid, as afraid as we might be. That is, there is a lot going on. We have a very, very experienced person coming into the uh, White House who knows about agencies, who knows about the presidency, who has gotten daily briefings. And so, yes, it's a handicap that he's not getting the money he needs, he's not getting the access he needs. And I've got to emphasize that Another handicap is the messaging that's going on, right? That undercuts the uh, the fact that he's coming in, and that undercuts too uh, the idea that we have indeed um, you know, facts that we can ascertain, and that we have rules that exist and need to be followed consistently. And so it, that's just a big problem that's that's going on. As far as what we're learning, I mean, a specific problem, or perhaps we're going to talk about this, is the whole response to the pandemic. I'm going to say, as Bill said as well, a natural disaster like a pandemic, it just presents so many opportunities for bad national security things to go on. And also, of course, it threatens us in so many different ways, economically, health-wise, and to be able to have a response to that, that's what he needs to be doing. But my understanding is, and it sounds like um, indeed he's doing everything he can to try to get up to speed, but it's just like having, you know, some you know, balls and chains on your legs as you're trying to run. You're just not getting all the resources that you should have to be able to do the very best job to serve the public interest. And I, I certainly want to turn to the COVID response and the issues there. But the one question that I've seen arise again and again from our listeners and from uh, social media, Bill, what happens if President Trump on January 20th says, I'm still the president. I'm not leaving the White House. Are we going to see the Secret Service drag him out? What actually is going to happen? Well, that, you know, as a last ditch uh, measure, yes, he he would be escorted out of the White House. Uh, The Constitution says that his term ends on January the 20th. So his term ends on January the 20th, assuming 
the Electoral College uh, certifies uh, President-elect Biden as the as the president-elect. So uh, it would be a, a national embarrassment, hugely embarrassing for President Trump and a real a terrible outcome for all of us in the United States to have to witness that kind of spectacle. I, I assume that that uh, wiser heads will uh, prevail upon the president in the in the meantime to to make other plans for that period. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go anything but quietly. That is perhaps to, uh, I've heard some say that he might host a competing inauguration down the street. That would be truly outrageous, but this president has done many things to garner attention of that nature before. Hope springs eternal that it'll be a smooth transition. That's right. Well, Leslie, we you mentioned COVID, so let's turn to that and find out what's happening with Biden. I mean, he's amassed a team of scientists. He's he's stepped up and even addressed it. He tried to issue some advice about wearing uh, masks and so forth. But now we have two vaccines that are rolling out. Well, exactly. And that's why the president-elect needs to be in the loop. The difficulties of addressing a pandemic like this just can't be understated, even if we actually do have vaccines that look like they're more successful than anybody thought. Um, we're dealing with a public health system that's structured such that the states have primary responsibility for addressing public health. And so you know, the um, federal government serves as backup. But how is it served for backup here? It serves for backup by what funding this vaccine, by providing you know, funds for testing, by providing stockpiles for supplies, by giving all that sort of support, but the federal government also then depends upon the states to be able to implement it. And so we've got the Operation Warp Speed going on. We've got the task force that the um, vice president is chairing, which apparently he did have a conference with the governors on Monday, talking about a strategy for distribution, but not saying anything whatsoever about uh, a new administration coming over and having to do it. Um, and so the president's coming in is going to be the one who is held responsible for how this distribution happens. And so it's very important um, that the president be able to understand the details. And we've got approval of the vaccine. It has to go through the you know, FDA, which is a federal agency. And we're dealing with um, distribution of it. As I said, we're dealing with different types of vaccines and different vulnerabilities for different populations. We have to have public buy-in, which is such a difficult thing. We, As we know with vaccines, masks have become a pol political thing. Vaccines already are. You know, to be part of that and to be try, try to manage the messaging about getting Getting these things out. And then, as I said, managing the federal state um, dance of who's going to do what and how are we going to accomplish a joint objective. And so, you know, to have the vice, uh, the president elect outside these agencies and task force and warp speed things and not knowing the details of them is, is just a very difficult situation. Bill, we have uh, President Trump appearing at a recent press conference and some of the news reporters saying to him, when are you going to concede? What's the importance of whether he concedes or not? Well, it's, it's not so much conceding that is is important. That's a symbolic importance, of course, but it's it's allowing the important work of the transition to go forward. So, you know, unleashing the, the GSA director to uh, open the PDB and other aspects of the transition to President-elect Biden and his team who are, you know, itching to go to work. It's been reported that the team is uh, ever industrious and uh, capable of 
staging workarounds so that they've been meeting off-site with members of the critical agencies, say at a coffee shop out on the street. They, of course, can't discuss uh, or share any classified information in those settings, but they can talk about the work that's going on and the work that needs to be done. So to some degree, uh, that those activities are going forward. So it's not concession, it's transition. And the transition can go forward even if President Trump insists until his dying day that he won the election. Yeah, I'm not really sure that he's capable of conceding. I'm not either. Well, it looks like we've just about reached the end of our programs. It's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts. But in this instance, I'm not really sure I want to ask for your final thoughts like we talked about earlier. I think what I want to do is ask if President-elect Biden is listening or anybody on his staff is listening, Leslie, what advice would you give him as you wrap up? And please also offer our listeners your contact information so they can reach out. I know you've got a long constitutional history, and this is I'm very interested in what your advice is going to be. Well, sure. Uh, Just so I don't forget my contact information, I'm at uh, University of the Pacific McGeorge School of Law. We have a big old website, and you can find me. But my email is ljacobs at pacific.edu. And so as far as advice, I'd say just keep doing what you're doing. Again, the press reports make it look like uh, the uh, president-elect is working, maybe not 24-7, but taking a little bit of sleep, but otherwise um, assembling a a huge experienced group of people who are doing their very best to figure out how to run all these various different agencies and um, what initiatives to take and how to uh, get the information that they can in all sorts of possible ways. I wish I could give them advice to try to get the president to retract, um, because I should emphasize that it's not just that the president hasn't conceded, but the press reports are that the president has actually actively told um, his agency heads not to share information or help with the transition. So I, I don't know how to overcome that, but I think all the rest of the things are very, very positive things that are going on. Good. Thank you. Bill, the same question to you, but perhaps also with a little bit of a twist here. What in history can we look at for President-elect Biden to turn to for, uh, for advice that you might give him? Yeah, thank you. I, and I'll begin, too. I, I'm uh, reachable by email, uh, wcbanksatlaw.syr.edu. And there's uh, a lot of stuff on Google about me and, uh, and the institute that I directed and the work that I continue to do. I think that the challenge facing President-elect Biden is uh, in many ways equivalent to the challenge that was facing President Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he began his first term, uh, the, the challenges to our nation, the combination of the public health consequences of the coronavirus and the devastating impact that it has had on our national and international economy is standing alone sufficient to, to make any president uh, step back and, and take a deep breath before digging in. I think in addition to that, what we witnessed in this uh, campaign and then the election was perhaps the biggest test uh, of our democracy, certainly in, in any of our lifetimes, maybe in 100 years or more. The election was very fraught. The campaign was uh, was nasty on the part of, of President Trump. And the, com- the, the members of our 
communities were uh, showed themselves to be deeply divided. The outcome was incredibly close in most places. And, and even now there's uh, resistance in some quarters to recognize the so-called legitimate uh, victor here. So I think a lot of attention needs to be paid to just what Vice, Pres to Vice President Biden's uh, repeated refrains that his plan is to govern all of the people to try to bring us to some degree back together. We truly need to learn to talk with one another again, to find common ground, because uh, this nation, I think, is never, certainly in, in the century, uh, has never been more divided than we are right now. So uh, the coronavirus and the economy are problems uh, number one and two, but perhaps the overarching problem is the, is the division in our democracy that needs considerable healing. I have, a, I have an optimistic attitude about it uh, and about the Vice President Biden's uh, capabilities in that regard. I think he's a decent, even-tempered man who, who is all in on the very project that, that I just uh, outlined. And you know, Kamala Harris is going to be a tremendous uh, vice president. And I believe that the team that they'll appoint and the, and the civil service workers will rise up to important positions are cut out for this job. But it's daunting. And if you throw in that, a number of our national security challenges from abroad, from the, you know, the the group that I identified before, the North Koreans, Chinese, Russians, and Iranians, not to mention non-state terrorists, it's a full-time job to run this country. There's no doubt about it. Right. Well, thank you. And Bill, in the beginning, we talked about your podcast. Where can our listeners find that? This podcast is called National Security Law Today, sponsored by the ABA Standing Committee on Law and National Security. And it's available on the website. It's ambar.org slash NSLT. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you. Well, as we wrap up, I'd like to thank both of our guests, Bill Banks and Leslie Jacobs, for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you both on the show. Happy to be here. It was great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, for our listeners, if you've liked what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.